Welcome to the Daily Standard Podcast. It's September 21st, 2018. I'm Charlie Sykes, joined by Alec Eisenstadt, Alex Eisenstadt of Politico. Good morning. How are you? Hey, how are you? Thanks for having me. Well, I have a feeling this is one of those days that anything that can go wrong probably will go wrong. The president, uh, who has uh, been unusually restrained about the Kavanaugh issue and uh, and the accusations by Dr. Ford, uh, what they that that restraint lasted about five days. He's he's back tweeting, um, raising questions about her story. He's give me your your okay. thoughts about all this and then the way that's going to play out on on Capitol Hill uh, with the uh, Senate Republicans. Well, I what this sort of immediately reminds me of is what ha- how he handled the, the Roy Moore situation, which was about ten months ago now. And allegations came out that Roy Moore, who was running for Alabama Senate. Uh, that he sexually abused uh, minors when he, you know, years, decades ago. Uh, Moore denied these allegations. Trump stayed quiet about it for some time. I mean, there were there were days and days and days that went by where reporters were trying to get the president to weigh in, and, and Trump showed a lot of restraint. He didn't say anything, and then he finally, um, several days before the race, he came out, campaigned for Moore, and came uh, to Moore's defense. You had a similar situation this week where it felt like Trump showed a lot of restraint. Aides were clearly trying to get the president to not say anything about Kavanaugh's accuser. But then uh, several days before this hearing is is supposed to take place, uh, the president decides to weigh in on uh, in in support of of Kavanaugh against the accuser. And so, you know, you you definitely see some, some similarities in terms of how these two situations have played out. Yeah. Now, now, where are we at right now? And of course, uh, th- this this can expire when when we are recording this. Uh, we don't have a definitive uh, date and circumstance for the the, the hearing. It, uh, it 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 certainly looks like something's going to happen next week, but nothing is nailed down. Right, and it, it feels almost like uh, you know a stare down between the accuser. Uh, her attorneys and Senate Republicans, Senate Republicans who are holding firm, they're saying this needs to happen on Monday. On the other hand, she's saying that she's open to testifying, but under the right terms. And that means not on Monday. It means later next week uh, and with some other conditions. So we're just going to have to see how this plays out over the over the coming hours. Uh, but but Senate Republicans are, are sort of boxed in here because yeah. You know, we're we're about less than 50 days now, really, until the midterms. It's an election that has been in part been driven uh, by the Me Too movement, in part, at least. And so this is a theme that in some ways goes to that. And they don't want to be seen as telling her that she can't testify uh, because of an arbitrary deadline that they essentially came up with. And so they're in a little bit of a box here. Yeah, but it is interesting, you know, that she clearly has the upper hand now when when she says, I am willing to testify this next week. uh, There's really no way for Republicans to. Well, obviously, they can do whatever they want. But, uh, you know, to roll to roll over that and say, you know, no, we we can't we can't wait till Thursday to hear you. What about her other conditions that we're hearing about uh, that she wants to go uh, that she wants to go second? And that she's demanding or, or you know, uh, negotiating for a subpoena for Mark Judge or any of those deal breakers on either side, do you think? 
You know, that one's tricky. I, I, I was is. thinking about the, 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 the one about her going second, and I could see potentially Senate Republicans and Kavanaugh being uncomfortable with that because if he's going first, then he's denying something that he feels like never happened in the first place first, and maybe he feels like he should have the chance to respond to the allegations that she's making. And so that puts him in a little bit of a tough spot, uh, there too. So I don't know how they're going to weigh this. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I think you're right. I think that their back is up against, uh, the, the wall here. And it, you know, one would love to know how these negotiations are taking place. You know, it is interesting how virtually every news cycle, the, the, the mood seems to yeah. shift on, on Sunday. Uh, you had right. Republicans who were really panicky thinking, Oh my God, what's going to happen here? Um, by Monday or Tuesday, they felt that the ground had shifted. Did they seem much, much more confident when it looked like she might not show up? Uh, you got the sense that you had uh, really strong unity uh, and momentum behind all of this. And then, of course, in the last 24 hours, it all flips around where you realize that that uh, that they don't necessarily control all of this process. And of course, you know, as you point out, this is all under the shadow not just of the fact that the president is now tweeting in, you know, tweeting, a, you know, uh, essentially attacks on the accuser. You have the midterm elections coming up, polls right. coming out, suggesting that Kavanaugh is historically unpopular. Um, so there must be a, a real sense of, of anxiety uh, among Republicans about the, the unknowns lying ahead here. I mean, there's some real wild cards coming. Absolutely. That has been the story of this entire midterm election, which is that if you're a Republican candidate running for House or Senate, you don't really have that much control over the narrative right now. You really don't. And it's been that case for really the last year and a half, the last two years. Uh, This is an election that's going to be driven by the president, that's going to be driven by the whims of this president, and it's going to be driven by things that these candidates don't have a lot of control over. And so if you look across the country, uh, Republican candidates are trying to localize these races for the most part. They're trying to, uh, they're really trying to turn inward and talk about what they're doing for their individual districts, what they're doing for their individual states. But, 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 you know, it's going to be what voters are going to be looking at or what they're hearing about largely uh, is what's coming out of the White House. And so, uh, I, I, again, it just shows how complex uh, this election is. There's so much going on. There's so much that that's sort of shaping uh, the electorate's views, and so much of it's coming from from Washington and the White House. The in the last twenty four hours, you also had one of these bizarre incidents, and I I I, I put this in the category of of how so many people seem right. to have lost their minds in in the Trump era, and and also how how many people. Um, will have their will not be able to come out of this particular period of time with their reputations intact. So I'm just going to set that aside for a moment. You had this incident that everybody's talking about now, um, where Ed Whelan, very well known conservative, head of the Ethics and Public Policy uh, Group, and very very respected, uh, you know, sober uh, guy, very very strong supporter of Brett Kavanaugh who had tweeted out a couple of days ago that he was 100% confident that evidence was going to come out uh, exonerating uh, Brett Kavanaugh. And I know that Politico did a big story about, uh, you know, all the speculation, what could it be, because Ed Whelan is so well, so tightly, um, you know, wedded to the, 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 the Kavanaugh confirmation movement. And then last night put out a bizarre tweet thread 
bizarre, maybe not the right word, where he lays out an elaborate theory that, in fact, it was somebody else that uh, attempted to rape uh, Dr. Ford, including pictures of a house, maps, floor plans, yearbook pictures, uh, and uh, culminating by naming one of the classmates from Georgetown Prep who allegedly looked just like um, <laughs> Brett Kavanaugh. And, of course, this was not well-received. And this morning, uh, Ed, Ed Whelan um, you know, deleted all of the tweets, uh, apologized, acknowledged that it was a terrible, terrible error in judgment that he identified this individual. But, um, you know, number one, people are asking, what was he thinking? Was this part of the strategy? You know, did the White House and the Kavanaugh team have anything to to do with uh, with all of this? And what the hell? <laughs> so what did, what's your take on all of this? Yeah, it also shows, and, and, and you know, this is something that showed up. I think you mentioned on Twitter, uh, where Whalen put these this this sort of conspiracy theory, for lack of a better term, out there, and it just sort of showed how Twitter is driving so much of the narrative in this Trump age. It really took over the the sort of Twitter-driven news cycle there uh, for a few hours last night. And uh, on, on Thursday night, and and it, 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 it was interesting, um, and and it was something that really generated um, a, a tremendous amount of outrage. It seems it seems as if uh, the White House and other Senate Republicans are distancing themselves from it, uh, but certainly it, it it did it did raise a lot of eyebrows around town. Yeah, and uh, he put out the, the the tweet. I made an appalling and inexcusable mistake of judgment in posting the tweet thread in a way that identified Kavanaugh's Georgetown press cla- uh, classmate. I take full responsibility for that mistake and deeply apologize for it. I re- realize that does not undo the mistake, and uh, uh, I'm I'm guessing this will come up during the hearings next week. Uh, there will be questions now about uh, who knew what when. Is this actually part right. of the strategy? The fact that uh, you had a, a columnist for the Washington Post, Kathleen Parker, write a column about the doppelganger theory. And, of course, then this morning, um, Fox and Friends, uh, that uh, that font of information, uh, th- they apparently were fascinated by the theory that it's somebody else. Now, Dr. Ford has issued a statement saying it was not this guy. She knows this guy. She visited him in the hospital. Um, and, you know, but. Um, this did not help the Kavanaugh case uh, in any way, and the president now tweeting in does not does not help. Um, actually, I think Becky Haberman had a couple of interesting tweets. She, she said it's it something something like I don't have it in front of me. Something like uh, you know go find the one armed man who did this, but but don't have a federal investigation. And right. so th- 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 this also complicates the position of the Republicans who are saying that, that, no, we don't need to have an FBI investigation. And yet you have folks uh, who are pushing out these bizarre conspiracy theories that are in not in any way helpful. And I, I you know, and, and again, no one knows what the what the end game is going to be here or whether there are going to be any losers. Now, let me get you react, because I had an unpopular opinion. That that whoever wins this vote, whoever wins on Kavanaugh, um, is is going to come to regret some of the decisions and the tactics they use. You know that that yes, Republicans, you know, may well succeed in getting Kavanaugh c- confirmed, but unless something dramatic happens, 
this, uh, you know, this is one of those victories that carries a an almost inevitable backlash. Right. Well, well, th- th- that's true, and it, it certainly has been a, a, a bruising fight. And there are also there are also potentially going to be questions, um, depending on how this turns out, on whether the White House was perhaps better off um, maybe letting Kavanaugh go and picking someone like Amy Barrett, who is someone who a lot of conservatives probably would have been happy with uh, to begin with. And, and she, she might have checked a lot of boxes uh, for this White House, especially heading into, into the midterms. But they've decided, Trump has decided, uh, that he's not going to back down on Kavanaugh, that he's going to stand b- beside, he's, he's going to stand behind him. And that's kind of his mentality with everything uh, that he goes into, right? He's, he doesn't want to back down. He doesn't want to see uh, like he's losing but depending on how these hearings uh, go, and, and, and as you mentioned, no one really knows how these are going how they're going to go. No one really knows if they're going to happen at all. Um, th- things could go sideways for Senate Republicans here, and so uh, it's a really, really, really unpredictable period. And I just wonder uh, if we're going to look back on this week and people are going to say, you know what, the White House should have just let Kavanaugh go, and they should have picked someone like Amy Barrett. Uh, maybe she would have been a maybe she would have been a safer, better choice at this point for them to go with. Well, and also though the the degree of anger on the right about the the sort of the last minute that you know smear of uh, of Brett Kavanaugh is, is is really intense. And you know up until you know the last twenty four hours, and who knows things are you know changing. Uh, it is was remarkable um, how. Senate Republicans and frankly conservatives, even even you know Trump's Trump skeptical conservatives, had sort of united around this. Uh, you know the, the 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 concern about you know w- what precedent do you set if one uncorroborated accusation can bring down a man's you know nomination and and his right. reputation. And uh, the Democrats have not covered themselves with glory um, as well. Uh, you know the the way that Dianne Feinstein handled that. Well, let's just move on to another thing. I want to talk about a story that uh, that you had this week, which is which is fascinating. Uh, it seems like a lifetime ago. By the way, it's so it it is it is the twenty first. One month ago today. Uh, was the Magic Eight Day? Remember, one month ago today was the day that uh, Paul Manafort was convicted and Michael Cohen uh, pled guilty. It, it feels like how many times have we wow. said this? It, yeah, it doesn't. It feel like it's, it feels like it's like a lifetime yeah. ago. Um, well, it was. What was it? Just a week ago that the that the that the president created a a mini firestorm. Um, by questioning the the death toll in Puerto Rico, which he says was a complete success. Um, and some I, I mean, obviously, there was there was some pushback on this, including from um, rather you know, maybe slightly atypical pushback from Florida Republicans who were not willing to go along with that uh, uh, with that with that presidential tweet. And this includes the Republican nominee for Governor Ron DeSantis, who has been. I would say pretty much a down the line Trump loyalist. So, so, so tell me what you're hearing about the president's reaction to this slight glimmer of independence uh, by by uh, by the congressman. So, so, Ron DeSantis, probably more than any other figure uh, running for for office in in 2018, has tied himself to the president. I mean, this is a guy who ran. DeSantis ran ads literally with his uh, infant child wearing a, a onesie that had uh, Make America Great Again on it. Um, and building a wall. Uh, build, right, exactly. <laughs> there is no one who has tied, himself more, tied themselves more closely to the president than 
Ron DeSantis. And and Trump decided to basically intervene in a contested primary uh, to, to put DeSantis o- over the line. And so Trump really feels that DeSantis owes him. He really feels that he's the reason that DeSantis won the Republican gubernatorial primary. And that's plausible, uh, right? And it, it, that, it absolutely yeah. is. Yeah. And, and you had you had a former congressman, Adam Putnam, uh, running against DeSantis, who had uh, been in Florida politics for many years. And he had, and many people thought he would, would potentially become governor one day. He ended up getting crushed by DeSantis in the primary in large part because Trump came out, intervened, campaigned for DeSantis. And so when DeSantis came out against uh, sort of sort of distancing himself from uh, Trump's remark about uh, Puerto Rico uh, a week ago, um, the president was infuriated about it. And he uh, made that very clear to people that he that he spoke to at the time about it. Now, here's the interesting thing, which is that a number of Florida Republicans, um, to varying degrees, uh, made it uh, put out statements saying they disagreed with the president. And that includes the four. Florida's current governor, Rick Scott, who's, of course, running for Senate. But the president sort was was much more uh, angry about DeSantis because he views DeSantis as someone who should be loyal to him. And what I think this 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 mm. incident um, really sort of captures is the Trump's uh, Trump's political mindset, his value system, which is very much loyalty driven. He believes that people uh, that people who, whom he has supported, who he, who he has helped out, who are close to him, are people who are loyal to him and should remain loyal to him uh, through thick and thin. And um, he definitely views uh, DeSantis and his action as, as something of, 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 of a betrayal. And he's been very angry about that in recent days. He was really hot about it. Uh, and and, and someone, uh, someone I spoke to kind of said that uh, Trump and DeSantis are going through a divorce at the moment now. That may or may not end up uh, actually happening going going all the way through uh, to election day. It's possible that Trump will get over this, but but still, it's sort of an interesting peek into Trump's mindset. It really is. It really is fascinating that he's more angry with DeSantis than he is with with Rick Scott. Um, it reminds me of uh, of a passage in Bob Woodward's book where. Um, Lindsey Graham is talking with, uh, with, with, with Trump and Trump is, is, is reportedly de- basically demanding that uh, I want you to be 100% pro Trump. And Graham is saying, well, you know, I'm going to support you when I'm with you, but I'm going to tell you right. when I disagree. And, and Trump is saying, no, I want you to be 100%. And this is right. the mentality. And it's interesting the way you, you just, you describe it because it goes back to, you know, why he is so angry at someone like Jeff Sessions, this obsession, um, and the belief, you know, he, he said that I don't have an attorney general because, of course, he thinks the attorney general needs to be his personal lawyer. And you get that sense that his obsession is not just about the Russia investigation, but right, it is this right. this this betrayal personal. of the you're supposed to get yeah, very, very personal, very, very personal. And and this comes up again and again, you know, the the re- reported dinner with uh, with uh, J- James Comey, but that seems like a lifetime ago as well, uh, where he wanted loyalty and what that means. Now, in Florida, um, this is an interesting case because the Democrats lurched left by uh, right. by by, non- by nominating Andrew uh, Gillen. And yet, at least the last poll I saw would suggest that the Democrats have an edge in Florida. Is, is that was that yeah. what you're hearing? Or? It's a very close race right now. And, and, and the interesting thing about this is, is that 
uh, DeSantis might need perhaps to move a little bit towards the center from where he was in the primary in order yeah. to, to win this race. Um, and, and that raises, by the way, sort of a broader question, which is that you had a number of uh, Republican candidates during the primary season who decided that basically they were going to win their primaries by getting as close to the president as possible. A lot of these Republican primaries, as you'll recall, were essentially Trump litmus tests. Right. They were very simple. Either you're, you're pro-Trump or you're not Trump enough, right? These were, these were very much down the line litmus tests. And so the winner of those, they were, they were races to see who could get the closest to the president. And so now the question is, is as we head to a general election where the generic ballot by, in, in many instances, shows Democrats with a, with a substantial lead, there's going to be pressure potentially on a lot of these Republican candidates who won these primaries by being Trump, by being Trump-esque to perhaps distance themselves from the president in some ways or to move towards the middle. And the question is going to be, and the question is going to be, how will the president handle this? Uh, will he respond with outrage on Twitter when people who he endorsed uh, start distancing mm-hmm. themselves mm-hmm. from him? Or will he uh, not say anything? And that's a, that's a really tricky thing for these candidates to sort of try to think about because they sort of they don't want the president to attack them because that could hurt their support among the base that they need to turn out in November. Uh, and at the same time, uh, they don't want to necessarily be seen as being too close to the president if his approval ratings are low wherever they're running. And so it's a really tricky balancing act for these Republicans. No, it, and, and, it, and it may be insoluble for some of them. Now, you know, on the other hand, if uh, Ron DeSantis picked up the phone or uh, wrote an email, you know, right. with a gro- groveling private apology, um, I think we've seen in the past that the, that uh, the, the Trump is, you know, is is willing to is willing to move on. But, um, you know, this this and it's not just in Florida. I'm thinking about the Senate race here in Wisconsin, um, where uh, R- Republican Leah Vukmir was in a was in a primary um, against Kevin Nicholson. And, and they really were vying with one another was who was more Trumpian, even though neither of them was was particularly Trumpian. I mean, it was it's you know part of this transformation of the Republican Party. Right. I mean, I knew both right. of them and neither of them were were particularly uh, enamored of Donald Trump uh, back in the day. And yet uh, they're pledging their loyalty. And then, of course, now um is in a general election campaign in a state where Donald Trump is 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 pretty much a a boat anchor um and i don't know how you make the the pivot between now and and november you know especially with every single time every single time that they they try to change the subject to something else like for example the economy which if you're a republican you want to talk about what does the president do he steps on your story right and and you know it's going to be interesting to see if republicans lose the house in november uh it's going to be interesting to see Who's who the president blames for that? Is he going to blame candidates uh, for not running close enough to him in the general election? That's a real possibility. Uh, he could turn on a lot of these people who are running. And so um, that's going to be really uh, interesting to see, too, as as these uh, elections uh, grow, grow near. So uh, in 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 Florida. If, if you're Ron DeSantis, you really do need Donald Trump to come down and campaign for you. You do. You do. I mean, because this really does, you know, I again, we, we, we now almost all the analysis is the cliche. It depends on on turnout. It depends on enthusiasm. And uh, all the signs that I'm seeing, you know, would, would suggest that, that at least right now uh, there's a rather substantial enthusiasm gap. 
uh, between the Democrats and Republicans. And of course, let's go back to the Kavanaugh case, because there is nothing uh, that is going to uh, galvanize the base uh, as much over the next uh, 50 days than that particular case. And that could have an unpredictable effect in in motivating Republicans to come out. I mean, for, you know, for example, you could imagine a scenario where if Kavanaugh went down, that that uh, the Republicans say, OK, now now the Supreme Court is in balance. If we do right, not right. retain the, the, the Senate, we will not ever get, uh, you know, a conservative ju- justice. And uh, and Democrats, of course, would feel emboldened by that. But again, um, it's hard to say how that plays out. It's hard to know whether it plays out completely differently in the national electorate from the the red state electorate. I mean, how does that play out in Indiana and West Virginia and uh, in North Dakota and, and those places? So. Once again, we we have this uh, this this moment of uh, of known unknowns, and even as we're we're talking right now, we don't know w- what that hearing is going to be. You know, you know, I wanted to ask you about this. You know, all of the back and forth about uh, Doctor Ford and and Kavanaugh that we've been going on for the last uh, now almost a week, and will go on, you know, at least through through next week. In, in a lot of ways, this is like a pregame warm-up because nothing really will matter until those TV lights go on, right? I mean, right. we live we right. live in an area where, where it is reality TV, and this is going to be the ultimate reality TV show. And so everything that's happened up until now really will not matter uh, compared to the way the Judge Kavanaugh and Dr. Ford present themselves when they have this massive national audience next week, if it happens. Absolutely. It reminds me of the uh, Republican debates in 2016, the primaries. Remember those? Everyone was wondering how Trump would behave. Uh, everyone was, was, you know, talking about uh, how are these debates going to turn out. And then there was a massive pregame for that. And then uh, the debates happened. And uh, it sort of reminds and it was all about how people performed before, as you mentioned, a, ma- a massive national audience. And so it, 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 it reminds me of that a little bit. And it's going to be fascinating to see how these hearings play out next week. I really think it's interesting that this election, this midterm election is, is coming to a conclusion almost with this, this, this kind of hearing, because it really encapsulates, I think, a lot of what the last two years have been about in terms of themes, right? You're seeing the themes about the Me Too movement. Uh, you're seeing the themes about uh, female empowerment. You're seeing the themes about, um, uh, and you're seeing you're seeing a lot of other issues come to the fore, and it it, it all feels like this is something uh, of, of a climax uh, for for this election. It really does, and um, you know, in a in a in an era of politics where everything seems to be high drama, this is going to be really high drama, Absolutely. and all, also, and, and 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 the fight also encapsulates the fact that we have these irresol- irresolvable differences about uh, philosophy and what we want the court to do on on abortion right. or a variety of other issues as as and uh, and then hearings about factual situation that is basically unknowable that there's no, going to be no one definitive resolution so the tribes are going to decide what they what they want to believe and where they're going which seems to be this is the moment we live in alex thank you so much for joining thank me you. i appreciate it very very thank much And thank you. And thank you for listening to the Daily Standard podcast. I'm Charlie Sykes. We'll be back on Monday and we will do this all over again.